Again, welcome into the Nonprofit Exchange Leadership Tools and Strategies. This is a special March issue uh, reveal party. Here we are. We're with a, a wonderful panel of contributors from the March issue of Nonprofit Performance Magazine. So thrilled to have you as our guest as we join in this wonderful discussion. Tonight we're going to be taking a look at the March issue of the magazine and we're also going to be talking about Millennials in the Nonprofit World. I'm so thrilled to be, host, uh, to be joining a wonderful list of contributors. We've got uh, a group and you may see them from left to right or right to left. We've got Scott Stanley Smith Scott is a freelance journalist writing for a number of publications, uh, but has been a previous contributor to our program. Joan Snyder Cole. Joan is the voice, the myth, the, the legend behind Why Millennials Matter. Next to her is Jamie Nodder. Jamie is the uh, co-founder of Culture That Works and the wonderful book that's sitting over my shoulder, Humanize, and soon to release, When Millennials Take Over. Next to him is Drew Lichtenberger. Drew is the, the, the founder of Prepare a Future. Drew's a mentor, a coach. He's helping young people find their way in this messy world that we surround ourselves with. And we also have Ariel Lev. Ariel is the, uh, the guru at the Grandin Collab. She's the one who makes it work there and keeps everybody active. Folks, thanks for joining us. We'll probably have some other voices popping in with us. Kyle Gracie, likely of Sustain Us, will be joining us. And uh, our, our founder and our president of Cinevision Leadership Foundation, Hugh Ballou. So thanks for being with us. We're really excited. Earlier today, we launched the third issue of Nonprofit Performance Magazine. And real quickly, before we dig in with these amazing contributors, I'm going to give you some screenshots of the new magazine, which you can catch centervisionleadership.org slash magazines. Very simple. It's the easy way to get to it. And we are going to take you inside that. So here we are. And we're going to go live so that you can get a visual of what's happening there. This is the magazine. It is on centervisionleadership.org. All you have to do is click to full screen. And click to full screen you will be able to see our cover is the wonderful and gracious Presidential of Freedom Award winner. This is a delight for us to have Francis Hesselbein as our cover feature. Francis is the former CEO of Girl Scouts of America. Francis is a, a delight who will be joining us on the program in April. On the front of the magazine you actually see some of the faces that are joining us for our program today, we've got Hugh Ballou, Sarah Cunningham, Jasmine Smothers, Jeff Fromm, Joan Snyder Cole, Jamie Nodder, and Jeff McGee. Take a look inside the magazine and you'll get some great shots, as well as a next edition highlights in June. Our June issue, we publish every quarter, our June issue is going to have Adam Grant, Give it to you. Excuse me, and I just lost it there. Adam Grant is going to be our featured guest as we talk about giving in the nonprofit world. And we're going to go back and see if we can grab that again. And let's pull that up. Sometimes things work really well, and sometimes, well, they don't. 
All right, here we go. We're back in there. Adam Grant, best-selling author of Give and Take. We're going to be featuring him. Wayne Elsie, CEO of Funds to Organizations. Jill O'Donnell Tormey, she is the CEO of Cancer Research Institute. Amanda Babine of Evaluate for Change. We're talking about how do we as organizations, how do we seek to find the way to give for deeper impact in our organization? So we'll be covering that in June. This issue, Millennials in the Nonprofit World. We've got the old faces like Hugh Ballou, our founder and president. We've got new faces. Young Faces, uh, Ben Simon, the founder, one of the co-founders of the Food Recovery Network in our Nonprofits That Work section. We've got Derek Feldman of Achieve as he talks about 75% of your new workforce. Bernie Dorman, Hannah Ubel of uh, the uh, Bridgeworks uh, organization. Roberta Gilbert talking about systems. Joan Cole, the emerging millennial leader, author of First Globals. Our feature with Francis, Jeff McGee. And hey, real quickly, want to point out here if you're seeing the advertisement in the lower right bottom, it's the five most important questions. Peter Drucker has left us an amazing legacy, and Francis Hesselbein and Joan Snyder Cole have joined to re edit and, and bring out a new edition that is going to be launching very, very soon. And Joan, you'll be able to talk to us a little bit more about that uh, when you join the program on the 17th as well as in our program today. All right, so you have now seen the magazine, and now it's back to the people who make the magazine matter. Our guests tonight are, are fantastic. I'm going to ask you to start, and I don't know what everybody else is seeing, but I'm going to go from left to right. So, Ariel, you are our starter. Tell everybody who you are and where you hail from. Hi, everyone. Um, I hope you can all hear me. Yes? Good? Okay, perfect. Um, I am the director of the Grand and Co. Lab, which is in Roanoke, Virginia, in the mountains of Virginia. Um, and I'm from North Carolina and spent some time in all over North Carolina, Virginia, and Northern Virginia for grad school. Um, and I'm very happy to call Roanoke home. Go ahead, Drew. Uh, my name is Drew Lichtenberger. I am in Virginia right now. I bounced back and forth between Richmond and Roanoke, but was born in D.C. And... Uh, Good to be here. And Hugh. Hugh Blue. I'm down the road. I'm in Blacksburg. Actually, I'm in I'm in uh, Roanoke right now. I'm visiting my mother-in-law in the hospital in Roanoke. But uh, I I'm from Blacksburg. That is dedication from a founder, even online with us from the hospital. All right, Jamie. How about yourself here? You are on mute still, brother. I am. Uh, my name is Jamie Notter. I uh, have a consulting company called Culture That Works. I have been to Roanoke. Um, <laughs> I actually had my car break down in Roanoke and they took good care of me. Um, but uh, I am actually in uh, 
Friendship Heights, um, just out, just outside the DC line in Maryland, um, and I've been in the DC area for uh, for a couple decades. And Joan. I'm Joan Cole. I am based in New York City. I'm an international speaker, author, and the founder of Why Millennials Matter. And tomorrow night, I'm going to dinner with our beautiful cover cover girl, Frances Hesselbein, who's just thrilled and so grateful to be a part of, of your magazine. Absolutely. And Scott. Hey, Scott Smith, and I uh, did an interview for Investors Business Daily where I have a column with Frances Hesselbein, one of my more interesting interviews ever. And I, I uh, in, that's my day job, Investors Business Daily columnist. But I have a new book out, uh, which is Extraordinary People, Real Life Lessons on what it takes to achieve success. And I have a website, uh, extraordinarypeoplebook.com. Awesome. And I'm Todd Greer. I am actually in the warmest spot of anybody here. I am in Mobile, Alabama, and enjoying the fact that it was 70 degrees today while most of you are sitting in snow. So uh, I'm here enjoying it. Uh, we're thrilled to have you as part of our journey. Uh, nonprofit Performance Magazine is what brings us together. Millennials in the nonprofit world, the reality is things are changing. And so off the bat, I'm going to have Joan start because uh, she's the lady and, and Jamie, you're not. Uh, Joan, if you would, just give us a little bit of parameters. When we talk about millennials, who are we talking about and what, is they, what, what does this generation look like? Easy first facts. Uh, first, I always categorize the generation of being born between 1980 and 2000, which means that they're about 15 to 35. That's a huge block of time, very different stages of life. And as we learn more about the generation that follows the millennials, um, Gen Z, or whatever we want to call them, you know, it could condense that and the most underemployed and unemployed, um, and they bring a whole new, unique set of talents and aspirations to our workforce and to our communities. And I guess the most important thing, too, we've talked about, about our workforce is in just five years, 50% of the workforce, the U.S. workforce, and then a couple years after that, 75% of the global workforce, which is why this is such a hot topic of conversation, figuring out how to unleash their potential, what can the nonprofit world do to attract them, to invest in them, to retain them, and then develop them into our future leaders. It's something that we all clearly on this on this call care about. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and Jamie, I know that your your numbers that you go with uh, differ a little bit because we've argued about them because you uh, you basically make me older than I need to be. But uh, give give us <laughs> your rundown. I know that you're working with uh, the numbers by Howe and Strauss. Uh, talk a little bit more about what you guys have seen in, in your research and your work there with uh, when millennials take over. Well, yeah, I mean, we 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 use the Strauss and Howe numbers, which which has millennials born between 1982 and 2004. Uh, but to be honest, it doesn't matter. Like the exact years is not the issue. Um, and besides, anyone like our, our distinguished host tonight might be on the cusp, and eventually, you know, could sort of show um, characteristics from either generation. So that sort of doesn't matter. But either way, uh, the it is true. This is the largest generation in American history, and. Um, they are becoming, I don't think they're there yet, but they should be soon the largest generation in the workforce. But more importantly than that, and this is sort of my perspective, they grew up with the social internet. 
and they grew up with some trends that have been impacting organizations and leadership and management so that they're actually going to become more of a catalyst that creates some even bigger changes around leadership and management um, that uh, that I'm not even that I don't think we're ready for. I mean, that's sort of my concern. I don't think the uh, the workplace has sort of caught on to the fact that there's going to be some pretty big changes in decentralization, and so I think they're uh, they're critical. Absolutely. Um, real quickly, I'm going to ask our panelists. I don't know if you are hearing feedback, but if you would just check your channels just to make sure that you're not uh, bringing in extra audio real quickly. That's uh, always, always a positive when we can hear things clearly. Um, want to go through a round robin here because I think it's important for us to get uh, the, the brevity or in the width uh, of the spectrums that we come from here. Uh, round robin, we're going to start with Ariel and go back through to Scott just as we did in our introductions. What do you believe is the most telling feature of the millennial generation. Ariel, lead us off, and then Drew, just follow after she's done. Well, as a decidedly millennial, I think I'm like smack in the middle, as middle as can be. Um, I, I think that millennials are individualistic. Um, hey, Hugh, uh, Hugh needs to mute his line. Okay. Um, sorry, that they're individualistic, which can be taken multiple ways. Um, you know, that I can do it, I can do it alone attitude, or, you know, that can also be like selfishness or determinism, determination. Um, so individualistic is what I'd say. Awesome. It's very hard to generalize a whole generation, um, but I think the most defining feature of the times is definitely the technology and the pervasiveness of that. So anything that would be a result of technology shaping, uh, a lot of that is uh, the way people think, the way people behave, the way people communicate, um, could be more on demand and a little bit less patient. Hugh. Well, um, I'm smack at the leading edge of boomers, so I'm probably the furthest removed than anybody here. Um, what I note, uh, note about what I've read and studied and uh, colleagues of mine who are statistici statisticians and experts in millennials, uh, boomers just kind of keep on going and make it work. Millennials can push the reset button and start all over. And millennials thrive on multitasking. And uh, you know, I want a task at a time, and I want to finish it and do the next one. So there's a, there's there's quite a difference there. So those are two things that stand out for me. All right, Jamie. Uh, well, I agree. It's hard to pick one. The 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 piece maybe that I'll point out is. Um, the way that the millennial generation grew up at a time when we placed an elevated status on children. A lot of people point, th point out this one because they get so angry that the millennials are, are sort of entitled or, or you know, uh, which I don't think is the issue. The point is when the millennials were growing up, adults treated them as peers more than in any of their previous generation. And that means they're showing up in the workforce and they don't the lines are blurred the lines of authority are blurred and they don't understand why they can't go talk to the senior VP or the senior manager or the president or the CEO because they've always had that kind of access and I just think it's important that we stop the sort of you are entitled and you need to get back in line mantra and sort of recognize that they're just responding to the environment that we created for them great Joe 
I couldn't agree more with um, G I echo Jamie's comments. So the the a different point that I'd add is that they expect authentic, transparent leadership. Um, that's why the they are their definition of success is achieving personal fulfillment and making a difference through their work. That doesn't mean that they have to flee from traditional businesses, uh, but this is the opportunity for the nonprofit sector to sign to shine. It's really showcase and demonstrate that your values are not a plaque on the wall, that your mission is something that drives your business and that their individual role, to Jamie's point, is critical. And that if you align their individual role to the broader mission of the organization, then they're a part of this team success. Scott. Yes, uh, I'll cite Frances Hesselbein on this. She said, they're most like the greatest generation and their willingness to make big sacrifices for big goals. So they're highly idealistic and uh, for nonprofits, that's a big, big plus. Absolutely. And I'm going to give you one. This is actually from one of our esteemed uh, panelists, Joan Cole. She and I, in a conversation uh, for the magazine, we were talking. One of the things that she brought out and identified with this very quickly is we are horizontal problem solvers. We're not quick to go up the chain of command. We are quick to go to our peers and talk with them and find answers. So fantastic responses, everyone. Uh, I'm going to narrow in here real quick. And we're going to go to Hugh uh, on this one, and if anybody's got a follow-up to this, we'll leave this one open. Hugh, as you think about this, what makes the present millennial emergence unique in the nonprofit world? Why is the nonprofit such a unique uh, area for millennials to be emerging in? Um, really good question. In his book, uh, Robert Weber, called The Ancient Future Church, um, dealt specifically with this issue. Oh. We got some feedback. Got some feedback. Specifically, specifically with this issue, and um, somebody's getting some feedback. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Go ahead. Let me try this. Um, he's dealt specifically with this issue, and he said that um, millennials, as a, as a culture, respect the ancient. Traditions they expect they respect authenticity, especially when it comes to the matter of faith and, and the genuineness of it. So the emerging emergent uh, style of worship is something that addresses the wholeness of that, respecting the tradition, respecting the authenticity, and not going for big numbers or superficial big bands or things like that. Style doesn't matter. It's the tradition. It's the relationship. It's the authenticity. Great. Uh, Hugh, I'm, I'm gonna, I know we're getting that. Okay. Um, let's go ahead and have some responses here. What does anybody uh, want to respond? What else do you think? And Scott, I'm not sure if it's coming off on yours or not. I can hear you. Okay. Yeah. Our, Scott, needs, Scott needs to mute, otherwise he's not here. Yeah, Scott, would you go ahead and, and mute your mic for a second? I'm sorry. Uh, now all I got to do is figure out how to do that. <laughs> Scott is not a millennial. <laughs> no, no, I, I only interview the technology CEOs. I don't know anything about technology. Uh, okay, what do I do to mute it? Sorry, I, I've got a, 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 a microphone. And you can click and mute. I think uh, we're getting feedback on that. That's all I'm saying. Could be. Let's see. Um, all right. If not, we'll deal with it. All right. So. Um, uh, 
one of the things that we see here in the nonprofit world is that the organizational patterns are a little bit different. How does the, the manual emergence affect that? All right, there we go. I'm muted, Scott, so <laughs> we'll deal with it. All right, how, how do you guys see the um, thinking about the the nonprofit sector in the type of organizational style that it has? How does the um, millennial emergence look different there than it does probably in our corporate brothers and sisters? I mean, I can contribute to that. My thoughts are this, and having spent the majority of my career in a traditional corporate environment while volunteering in the nonprofit. The opportunity I see in nonprofit is is more of a collaborative, one for all, all for one atmosphere. You know, when you are accustomed to working with less resources and really rallying behind uh, a mission and and values, and also the types of organizations that rely on volunteers and supporters in the community, and you 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 automatically see. Oftentimes, you get to see the results um, firsthand, the impact of your work or your services or your mission. Um, I volunteered and was a part of a lot of nonprofits that center around either education or leadership or supportive young girls. So, you know, it's right there in front of you, the results, versus the traditional corporate environment, regardless of what sector it is, where you may be working on a very siloed project management, and that's not appealing for a young person today who was in an educational curriculum that was team-based, where they volunteered on all of their breaks and their free time, serving all over the world. Um, so I think that that's the advantages that the nonprofit world has um, just just again, you know, seeing the results firsthand, being a part of a team spirit. And that's where I feel like crowdsourcing is really found and horizontal problem solving is really found its traction with millennials is leveraging whatever creative technology that they can to to grow their business. It's a great point. Thanks, Joan. Uh, I'm going to take one more on this if anybody's got one. If not, I'll uh, throw my two cents in. All right, I'll throw my two cents in. One of the things I remember Jeff from uh, as we were talking for his contribution to the magazine, Jeff pointed out that a lot of times there's a struggle when we talk about nonprofits that have old schemas. They have old ways of doing things. They've got this old, very traditional idea, and we do things slowly. Uh, millennials oftentimes are very uncomfortable with the slow process, and we want to see change happen very quickly. I think to Joan's point, we, we like the idea of nonprofits because we're very close to the problem or the cause that we're working with. I think we also struggle with the idea of a slow change, and so that's one of the things that we're seeing. All right, this one goes to Drew and Ariel and Scott. What expectations do you guys have for millennials as they emerge in leadership in various organizations? Um, that's a really tough question to answer, obviously, because there's so many subcategories of people. Um, I would say that in some ways, millennials are way more mature, but in other ways, they may be less mature emotionally. Uh, you also have some different groups where um, some are very self-centric, very ego-driven, but fortunately, I think that the uh, nonprofits are going to uh, self-select the other type, which are very deep, very purpose-driven, uh, seek meaning, um, and they have a lot of integrity, I believe. So those are the kind I typically choose to work with. And 
in that case, I think the type of leader you're gonna is gonna emerge is somebody that um, really wants to learn, really wants to grow, and is gonna be very worthy of an investment. Uh, however, I, as, if you're working with young ones and coaching them, I would watch out for um, a setback and failure. Sometimes it is not the easiest thing for them to deal with, so you need some coaching around that. Awesome, great, Ariel. What you got there for us? Sure. Um, you know, I, I think millennials are often criticized for seeking immediate gratification. That's some, that's like a term that gets bandied about. Um, so I expect that my millennial peers who emerge as leaders will take into consideration what has come before and what will come after them. Um, and not do things that, that are immediately gratifying for them, but instead have more foresight for the following generations who are being raised in this very advanced techno technological age um, and paving a path for, path for them that allows them to be successful with that information. Great. And Scott, we're going to see if I can get you unmuted muted here. Go ahead, Scott. Okay. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah. Yep. Idealism, speaking as a, a 1960s activist, uh, I can say idealism is a two-edged sword. On the one hand, uh, the uh, lofty goals and the willingness to think big. On the other hand, uh, it can make you very cynical about uh, corporations, churches, uh, nonprofits. You might think the big charities are really a scam. Um, it, it does tend to make people rather judgmental of the imperfect. And when you're young, you don't really have a lot of real-world experience where you, where you have to kind of realize, you know something, I can learn nations and leaders who may have big flaws. There, and you know, I write a column about leaders and success. There's nobody that you can think of Mandela, Gandhi, anybody who was perfect. Martin Luther King wasn't perfect. So I think there's probably a tendency to be a sense of holding up leaders to artificially high standards. And so I think we have to kind of be prepared that they may not understand that you can work within a, with imperfect people to achieve great things. It's a great point. Absolutely great point. Next question is jumping right in. What are the biggest challenges millennials will face as they find themselves in organizations with long history? And we'll just go rapid fire on this. So whoever wants to step first into that one, have fun. Number one challenge is the boomers leaving with the intellectual property and telling the, the millennials to go make coffee. <laughs> Uh, I'll jump in. Um, I mean, I think the millennials are not going to have a lot of patience for waiting through the traditional processes to solve problems and to do things inside of organizations. They um, they grew up being able to do it themselves using the social internet, and um, and as was mentioned before, they they went to school working in teams. And then they show up in the workplace and they're told, okay, you're entry level, you have to do exactly as you're told and you can only work within your silo. And that just doesn't make sense to them. And it's not like a, they have an argument that it should be the way, they just literally don't know any other way. And I think that because they can do it themselves, they will leave your organization in a heartbeat. Uh, which is not something that was as common in previous generations, so we could put up with this. Uh, and not everyone's going to, but I think I think that's that's going to be an issue. They can go, frankly, create their own organizations quicker than figuring out how to do it in yours if you're if you've got a stuck bureaucracy. So I think that's real important. 
I see yeah. a lot of heads nodding on that one. Yeah. Go ahead, Jim. I'd love to build on Jamie's point again. I love we're on the same wavelength. Um, so the opposite of that, because Jamie's right, the talented ones, the driven ones, the creative ones that are like, there's a better way. I'm going somewhere else or I'm gonna do it on my own, they're out of there. The ones that stay are those that aren't as engaged, that aren't going to push your company to be innovative, aren't going to really have strong client relations, be the, and they're not going to be the best ambassadors for your brand, and and ultimately, without having that connection to, as Hugh mentioned, their baby boomer leadership, they haven't taken on their legacy, it's a disaster waiting to happen, and I think it's going to keep a lot of companies not only at a standstill in terms of their progress, but they're going to start to see a sharp decline with that loss of talent. Great. There's also an element of teaching technology to people in your organization. I think um, a, a lot of people find it very challenging to explain technology in an effective way to make it actually mean something to the organization so they get thought of as immature or they're using it for detrimental purposes. So being, being able to communicate what you grew up learning is very important in an organization. I think it's a huge challenge. Actually, I just want to jump on. Sorry, jump on. Um, the issue of technology, um, and not just sort of like getting everyone up to speed, but the 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 one thing I don't think a lot of people realize about millennials is they just don't understand why old folks like us still use tools that don't work anymore or that don't work for the reasons that we need them to work. Like we had in our research, one person um, in the in an interview with us like sort of scratch her head and, and look at us and referring to her older colleagues and it's like, why do they use email for instant messaging? Like, like why are they sending me an email when they need an immediate response? Why wouldn't they use something that's going to pop up on my phone? They just don't get that just because SharePoint worked for you five, four years ago doesn't mean you should still use it today. Like that kind of constant innovation and growth when we don't do that, we just we seem like aliens to them, and that's a, that's something we got to work on in a big way. Great. Scott, I think you were getting ready to go, and you're on. There you go. Okay, uh, I think what's needed for nonprofits, especially, is some mentor pairing because I think when you have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with somebody with different experience. They can explain, for example, sometimes I have to explain to people why I prefer email as a writer for communicating. Instant messaging doesn't do it for a number of reasons. And um, I, I think that if they have that organic connection where they can have a real conversation, go to lunch, you know, they'll realize, oh, the old guys aren't complete fools. And uh, I think that there's got to be, some, in the interview process, they need to be told, you know, a lot of the people are making a big difference here volunteering their time, but the reality is it's not always the most competent people that have the time, the great skills and everything to come in and contribute, but they're all necessary building blocks to achieve the goal. So it's kind of like, you know, if you have an attitude about the janitor at your company, and you don't think that they really, uh, you know, have anything major to contribute. You're, you've got the wrong perspective. And I think that proper vetting, training, interviewing, and mentor pairing can can uh, take away some of that problem. All right, all right. Drew, we'll go ahead and let you have the, the final say on this one. Uh, I have to agree with Scott on that. I think the value of mentoring is huge. 
Um, and that's the uh, primary uh, way to pass on passing information. Um, I, I, that's a great answer, Scott. Fantastic. Um, I think we, we see a lot of good things that, that we're recognizing here. One of the things, and I'm going to pose this more as a question um, and not giving you all time to respond to this, but one of the things that I think we may see is I'm wondering about the blurring of the lines between the for-profit, non-profit, and governmental sectors in the future. And so that's a, a question that I think millennials are going to be playing with for years to come is what is this new uh, organizational entity begin to look like? I know we've got the emergence of the four benefit and I think that's just the tip of the iceberg uh, in changes in our tax status that's coming up. So uh, here's the next question. What are the biggest lessons that millennials are currently teaching us in organizations? And I know we've touched on some of these already. What do you see as the biggest lessons that they're teaching us and anybody who wants it first go ahead I'll give my fun visual um, has anybody seen the cartoon where it um, there's a picture of it says a baby boomer and what he wears to work and it's the suit and everything and then what he wears after work and there's the you know the the cigar and the golf shorts and you know he's hanging out really casual and then there's the picture below of the millennial at work you know wearing let's say uh, you know a, a, a dress a woman um, and then it's the millennial after work and she puts a bracelet on so it's this whole idea of why do we become this totally different person that's able to connect more, much more relaxed within ourselves when we leave the workplace versus the person that we show up at at work. Um, so how I, I speak to that is they are really demanding, and we alluded to this earlier, there's going to be huge shifts in leadership and management. They're going to expect that um, since that line is blurred and they want to work at different times when they work best for themselves, they, they really expect to know their teams because they think under, if you understand me, and my strengths, and some of them may not be within my, my job description, they may be in ways I show up in my passions outside of work, you can think of me and help me recognize where else I could contribute in this organization. I need you as my manager, as my leader, to get to know all these you know, different aspects of me and my life and for me to be able to express those. Great, great. Yeah, Joan, I couldn't agree more. I think that's a great point is that people want to be known as individuals, as humans, and get uh, to be known a little bit on a, more on a deeper level. Uh, I also think the millennials are redefining assumptions, uh, bring, challenging different ways of thinking, uh, keeping us or older generations on their toes. Um, so those are some other things. Yeah. Yeah, I would add... Um one of the big lessons I think millennials are teaching us is around clarity and transparency. I mean, I agree wholeheartedly with the authenticity piece, which we wrote about in, in when we were writing Humanize, but the, the new book talks about being clear. Millennial generation has so much uh, exposure to information. Everything was at their fingertips, and they are completely befuddled when they show up in organizations and are told we can only tell you that if you, you know, we'll only give you that information when we decide that you need to know. Um, and I think what they are offering us is a system where decisions get better when everybody can see and, can, is, and information is made visible. Uh, I think that's a huge lesson for organizations. I think what we tend to forget often is that uh, leadership and communication is based on relationships. And I think, um, and Todd, I wrote in the, in the magazine, the current version, about 
uh, more of what we have in common, if we start looking at what we have in common. But um, we can learn from each other on technology. We can learn from each other about leadership and relationship. I think what they teach us is to do more of what we know we ought to be doing anyway. And so it really challenges us to think about systems, and we all get in a rut with our, our own routines, and we keep doing the same thing and don't get the good results. So I think it's a chance for, for boomers to learn to push that reset button and think about restarting. Yeah, I just want to echo on that one piece that there that like we need to remind ourselves that there is nothing new under the sun here. Like like we are relearning things that we have learned before. Like this is not I mean, every new generation comes onto the onto the workforce and we all freak out. We're like, oh, I can't deal with Gen X, I can't deal with millennials. And and they're different, of course, and that's fine. But we are recycling some of the same wisdom that we've been sort of relearning and relearning over the last several centuries and let's sort of welcome that and embrace that as opposed to, to bristling against it. Anybody else want the next stab at that one? I'll, I'll kind of wrap this one up and we'll move into the next. One of the things, and, and Kyle Gracie, who's one of our contributors to the issue, Kyle's been on with us before for the nonprofit exchange, Kyle talks about they're teaching us that board positions aren't just about money, uh, that we want to have a board that is active and that embraces the diversity of the community that we're working with. And I think that's one of the things that millennials are really helping us to see is the value in bringing a wide swath of people together uh, to seek growth in our organizations. Uh, let me, because we're, we're kind of running towards the end of our time together, I want to go through and we're going to go um, start with Ariel and move through, uh, ending with Scott. Ariel, we're going to ask you and everybody else, what would be your word of encouragement or your direction uh, that you would give to millennials and the organizations that they're working with to, for the future? Um, well, my word of encouragement to the organizations first would be to take time to understand, like I mean, we've all talked about the individualistic aspect of this, take time to understand what, what each individual is fueled by and what motivates them. I mean, we, maybe you've all heard of the Love Languages book. I think people have sort of a communication language too, like does somebody need quality time? Do they need um, praise? Do they, uh, something like that. And hold it, don't hold them to an old standard or put them in a box. I, I know that with my members, with all the collab members, I can't really say that entrepreneurs look like this because that freaks them out. They're like, no, 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 that's not really me. So um, just allow them to innovate and succeed in ways to make, that make sense to them. Go ahead, Drew. I'd say the word generativity. Generativity has to do with establishing um, the, and care for and concern for the next generations. Uh, right now, and we have a lot of people in massive amounts of student debt or other types of debt that we're giving down, handing to the millennial generation, and that was because of short-term thinking. So on both sides, all the generations, um, truly there is nothing new under the sun, but let's think about the next generations after us and what we're leaving behind. Great. Hugh, go ahead. I'm a, I'm a fan of collaborative thinking, and um, getting unstuck is something I have to do every day. And Trust I me, think, I know. I work with you. I know. <laughs> Boy, did I leave it open for that? <laughs> but um, but we can we can believe our own stuff and get in our own ruts. And I 
I really appreciate the paradigm Jamie put on the table is there is nothing new and we we freak out and also often really manufacture problems that aren't there and so it's the genuineness of who we are as individuals that that trumps race or uh, gender or generation or ethnic background it trumps any of that who are we what are our values and what do we want to achieve and how can we do it better together Jamie uh, my advice to, gen to millennials is actually the same as my advice to other generations when it comes to this stuff, which is um, proceed until apprehended. Okay, this was advice that was written by um, Florence Nightingale, and it's a little bit like, you know, you don't want to ask for, for permission or forgiveness, Like, but the point is just keep going. When someone apprehends you, you have to then explain what you're like. You have to to respond, as was mentioned, but just do it, um, because if we wait around to get approval on this and to get and to, to figure out we're right before we take action, we will fall behind everyone, and that's that's particularly true for nonprofits because I think they really want to make sure they can get the right answer for their funders before they do stuff, and I think that's holding us back. Joan, go ahead. Um, so my advice, start with for the organizations, is one, increase awareness. All of us are authors. There's plenty of information out there that they actually have to listen to and start to better understand their workforce. And the second is to make the investment. Companies need to invest and shift their budget into young talent right away and earlier. They need to partner with colleges and universities to get them early experiences so that they can hone the right skills for them to be successful. My advice to millennials is is work on their brands because I don't like that uh, I don't want anybody else to make an impression about them before they own the opportunity to do it for themselves and so they have to increase their awareness about how they can best uh, communicate and articulate their strengths and then finally relationships matter just like you talked about you know forming mentorship relationships with those that have more tenure in the workplace will help them great Scott I would say read Chip Connolly's book, Peak, which is about uh, Abraham Maslow's psychology and how to apply it to business, and Know Thyself, uh, which means if you're not willing to go through psychotherapy, at least watch some episodes of HBO's In Treatment and learn the central lesson, which is that really smart people uh, are blind to their faults. Awesome. Hey, Kyle, good to have you in with us. We're just wrapping up here, uh, but want to give you the opportunity. Uh, we're, we're talking here real briefly about words of encouragement that we would give to the millennial generation and the organizations that they're working with. So I'll let you go ahead there. Sure. So thanks, thanks for having me as well. And uh, I think words of encouragement are for, for the millennial generation, don't be afraid to, to step up because your leadership is needed and you have an amazing set of skills that that other generations don't necessarily have and and for other gener and for the organizations you know take advantage of this this new leadership and these new skills that 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 are there and don't be afraid to, to reach out to millennials and and ask them to contribute and serve in ways that you might have been reluctant to in the future because you'll be very impressed with in general I, I think what they have to offer Absolutely great. I'm going to share with you real quickly, Nate Turner, uh, one of our, our authors, contributors in the March issue, he said these three things. He said to millennials, he said, 
be confident. Be confident in who you are. Know yourself. Know what you can do. Be humble enough to know where you stand in an organization, where your situation is, and above all, be consistent. Organizations want to see consistency in you because if you're hot one day and cold another, they're going to have a hard time knowing where you're at. Uh, I'm going to leave you with, with things. We've got two authors here that are in the process of launching their new books, and I think they're fantastic for the audience that's in front of us. They're fantastic for stimulating this discussion, thinking about how do we integrate our generations, thinking about what's happening in the future. Uh, Jamie Nodder and Maddie Grant are co-authors of When Millennials Take Over. They've got a pretty interesting deep dive into both the research as well as the culture of what's happening here. And Joan Cole is one of the editors, along with Francis Hesselbein and uh, the, uh, the late Peter Drucker, of The Five Most Important Questions. These are books that get into the culture. So I, I know I'm sorry to everybody else, but I'm going to give you guys the two last words to go on before we wrap. So, Joan, talk us briefly why The Five Most Important Questions. Peter Drucker is the father of modern management, and I, and I know... A lot of uh, experienced leaders today are familiar with him, yet this new generation hasn't particularly been exposed to it. So the goal is uh, we created and championed this idea to connect the generations, build a common language for business, for business discussion about how your business is today and where it can go around five simple questions that evoke profound um, responses to connect millennials and management with um, tremendous leaders, Marshall Goldsmith, Collins, um, Chief Learning Officer of GE, and millennial leaders um, throughout. So I'm excited to inspire a new generation of Absolutely. If you stay tuned, Joan will be with us in two weeks, March the 17th. She'll be joining us for the nonprofit exchange. You can catch her that Tuesday at 2 p.m. Jamie was with me very recently, but Jamie, briefly, give us the, the head start on when millennials take over. Well, so first of all, for the record, the millennials aren't actually going to take over. No one generation really runs everything. Yeah, sorry. Um, but the millennial generation, again, is going to be a catalyst for what we see as a steep change in leadership and management. And the research we did both among millennials and in organizations that had really, really strong cultures, both nonprofit and for-profit, by the way, um, revealed four key capacities, and that was digital clear, fluid, and fast. And I think I think every organization needs to learn what those mean and how to apply them if they want to stay ahead of this curve because the change is going to start coming a lot faster than it has been, even though it's been very fast. Awesome. Folks, I am so thrilled to be joined by these wonderful guests. They're all contributors to the March issue of Nonprofit Performance Magazine. It is a magazine that we make accessible to you free. We want you to be able to see this. We want you to be able to understand what's happening in your organization, to be able to think about what the changes that are occurring as you see the emergence of millennials in your organization. Pick it up. Nonprofit Performance Magazine. You can find it at centervisionleadership.org slash magazine. Thank you to each one of you. Ariel Lev from the Grandin Collab. Thank you so much. This is now two weeks in a row you've had to put up with me. Drew Lichtenberger, Preparing a Future. Drew's a coach, a mentor, a wonderful friend, contributor. You can find his issue there. Hugh Ballou, our, our founder and president at Centervision Leadership Foundation. Hugh, thank you for joining us even in a hospital. Uh, Jamie, 
Culture That Works, author, uh, aficionado, uh, a, a man that is fantastic. Uh, thank you so much. Joan Cole. Joan, thank you for joining us to share with us some amazing insight. We're looking forward to the five most important questions. Kyle Gracie, Kyle's been with us before. Kyle is, is an engineer. He's a sustainability guru. Uh, he's very humble, and he's got some great insights to think about millennials and their boards. Scott Smith is a story collector. Scott is a, a, a brilliant collector of people's stories, and he has a great way to share those. Please be sure to check out Extraordinary People book that Scott has published as well as the article. Folks, again, thank you so much for being with us. I'm Todd Greer. I'm the Executive Director of Center Vision Leadership Foundation. It has been my pleasure to join you. Have a great night. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.